Thank you for worshiping this morning. We, we appreciate uh, you participating and, and glorifying God this morning. I want to start, like we've been doing every week, by once again thank you for thanking you for being a generous church. This last week, uh, there were about 25 or 30 of us that gathered uh, in the gym this week to prepare around 1,000 brain bags for our sponsored school, Edna Keith Elementary. Uh, it's a small act, but the beauty is the principal allowed us to put scripture in those brain bags. And so during this week, as, as the kids begin to take their three-hour tests on the computer, the hope is that as they open those bags and they eat the snacks and they pull out this little piece of scripture, that they are encouraged by the power of Jesus Christ this week. The other thing, I, I'm just shocked. I, I know we gave you our final numbers for the church year, but now I'm giving you the final, final, final numbers for the church year now that we have everything come through. Uh, last week, or, or this uh, yesterday in our district meeting, which maybe felt like last week, um, our church was mentioned multiple times. And, I, and here's why. Uh, we, re, we took in over $270,000 this year as a church. And as a generous people... You gave $110,665 to the mission of Christ this year. That is 40%. 40% of our total income went to global missions this year to support the mission that God has called us to. And so, I mean, the district has just been uh, running cartwheels and talking about how, how do you give 40% as a church? And it has been amazing that, that, uh, to serve people who are so generous with their money, generous with their time. And I just want to thank you this morning. Please, please give yourself a hand for your obedience. Uh, this morning, uh, as I typically do, I'm, I like to start out with a confession. First one is I'm really hungry. <laughs> so this may be a short sermon. <laughs> Some of you are already there with me. Uh, but I have to confess to you this morning as your pastor that I have commitment issues. And some of you are like, should we tell his wife? Like, we've got commitment, you know, commitment issues. No, 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 listen, she's here, she knows. She knows I have commitment issues. Here are two ways that I have commitment issues. The first is this. I have trouble saying no to people. And I really like people. I like being around people. And so when people ask me to do things, oftentimes I will schedule two things at one time. So when I'm supposed to be there, I'm also supposed to be somewhere else there with somebody else. Y'all have this problem, and you also have this problem that you schedule multiple, you fill your schedule with two different meetings at one time, and then you realize that in the end that you scheduled two meetings, so you have to either cancel one of them or just cancel all of them. And so, let me just say this, if I've canceled a meeting with you, it's not that I don't like you or I don't want to be with you, I love you very much, but I also love everybody else very much, and I just love being around people, and I've probably made a commitment issue in terms of scheduling people more than once, and I apologize for that. That's something I'm working on as, a, as your pastor. The other commitment issue is this, is I love hobbies. And I know, ladies, that you would say that, yes, my husband, uh, you know, living with men, they have issues and commitment issues with hobbies. Here's the thing. When I get into a hobby, I go all the way. And the best part about hobbies is purchasing new stuff. Right? You know this. Uh, and I was just thinking, since we've been married, I've taken up uh, hiking, backpacking, kayaking, hunting, running, weightlifting, and I mean, the list goes on and on. And if you were to come to my house, you would literally find sections in the house where I have all those things. I have two kayaks that are sitting in my basement right now. Probably haven't been used in probably 10 years. Uh, but, but I can't wait till my kids get old enough that I can take them out and do those things. So my guess is, if, if, if I were to sit down with you and have a conversation with you, you would say to me, Brad, 
there is somewhere in my life where I have a commitment, commitment issue. I think about my, my teenagers and, and little kids this morning. Maybe you have a commitment issue with keeping your room and bathroom clean, right? I won't look at anybody over here, but I know that they have an issue with it too. And, uh, but I get it, right? In the morning, you, you gotta look good for, for everybody, and so you start putting on some clothes, and, uh, and then you realize that doesn't look good, and next thing you know, you've taken your whole walk-in closet, and you've thrown it all over the floor. So I know that you have a commitment to keeping your room clean. It's just difficult at times. I get that. I think about, <laughs> I think about, uh, I think about moms. I think about them often, just because Janelle talks to me all the time. Maybe you've committed this year to being healthier, living a healthy life. And, um, but I get it when, when your kid has said your name 500 times in two hours, like at the end of the night, the last thing you want to do is eat carrots. And so you grab the silver spoon and you stick it in a pint of ice cream. Like I'm not around the kids all day and I still have that issue. So you have a commitment issue maybe to being healthy, but there's factors that, that kind of take part in that. Maybe you have a commitment issue with being on time. And so you've said over this next year, I'm going to go to bed early and, or I'm going to go, go to bed early, get up early so I can be early. But the problem is, is you're going to bed early. You're still getting up early, but it's still taking all that time to get to work, to meetings. And I know it's hard to believe, but even church and you're late. I get it. It's a struggle. I think about our people who are beautifully aged. It's a nice way of just saying you're old. Um, listen, I, I, I empathize with you, especially moving to Chicago. Maybe you have said in your age, you know, maybe you've kind of had a negative view of, of life. And, but now you've said this year, I want to be positive. I'm committing to being positive this year. But then you see all these spoiled little brats running around with their phones and their computers and they're never looking up. And they have everything. They have the whole world at their fingertips and they think they know it all. And you feel like the world around you is moving and changing so fast and you can't keep up with it. And so you're like, I know I'm supposed to be positive. I'm trying to commit to be positive, but man, it's, it's difficult. I mean, for me, it's difficult driving in this area. I mean, I probably came from Kansas where we're like, da dum da 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 And you know, here it's like, this week I'll witness some, some young teenager cussing out a lady crossing the street. And I'm like, yo, it's not that serious. I mean, people will speed by you. They'll, by the way, if you decide that you want to ride my bumper, I promise you, I will slow down to a speed that is even way uncomfortable for you. So don't, don't tailgate me. Don't tailgate me. I don't like it. I'm learning the Chicago driving. But maybe y'all are, are empathizing. Some of my older folks can empathize that you feel like the world is changing so fast around you. And so I think this morning, this is what, what John wants us to struggle with. That even in our Christian life, we have commitment issues. If I were to sit down with you and we were to talk, you would say to me, Brad, I, I really am struggling in this area of my life when it comes to my relationship with God. But the beauty is, today John tells us, I get it. The disciples get it. People who claim for years to follow Jesus get it. And so this morning we're going to dive into a story in John 21 where we realize that even the disciples, even after last week, still have commitment issues. So turn with me to John 21. I'm not going to make you stand today because this is a long reading. So stand in your heart and I'll stand for you as well. John 21. It says, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. I love his language. It happened this way. 
It happened this way. We'll get to that in a minute. Simon, Peter, and Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. He says, I'm going out fishing. This is what Peter says. He says, I'm going out. I'm going, to, I'm going fishing. So Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, guess what? We'll go with you, Peter. So they went and they got in the boat, but that night they caught absolutely nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Circle that word realize in your Bible. If you're taking notes or you like marking up your Bible, circle that word realize. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and then you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer, outer garment around him, for he had taken it off while he was fishing, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards and when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. And I want to circle that too. They, were, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He dragged the boat ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast with me. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? But they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and, and he gave it to him. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you were dressed, you and you dressed yourself and and you went where you wanted. But, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and will lead you, hear this, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify. And then he said, follow me. So this morning, uh, John gives us an, an interesting picture of what's happening. And, and as we said last week, John is, is different than some of the other writers because John takes us behind closed doors as we literally did last week with the disciples. He takes us behind closed doors and gives us these, these up-close personal conversations with Jesus. What's interesting about John's gospel this week is that this is John's second ending. This was not the original ending to the gospel of John. The gospel of John actually concluded with chapter 20. But now that John's older... He's beginning to see that, that perhaps I need to, to, to write another ending to this story. And, and here's why. Last week we saw that the disciples really struggled with, with understanding the resurrection and what Jesus had called them to. And so I think John gives us another ending to the story because he realizes that even God's own disciples have yet to figure out what resurrection means. What the power of resurrection can do for our lives. 
And so he wants to tell us as God's followers, as people committed to following him, this is a struggle. And so we'll give you just one more story, one more ending to help you understand how difficult this can be. And so if you weren't with us last week, uh, let me just catch you up. If you were with us, but you really weren't with us, we'll catch you up as well. Uh, the story goes like this. Um, last week, we looked at the disciples and Thomas, and we realized that these weren't necessarily two different stories, but rather these were paralleled stories. And John tells us the same story over and over and over again. Because he realizes that this is difficult for us to understand. And we saw that the disciples, on God's first day of his new world, when he was resurrected from the dead, when, when they witnessed Jesus in the empty tomb, when Jesus was gone, the disciples, who couldn't figure it out, the ladies got it, the guys didn't, uh, they walked back to the upper room. And they're sitting in darkness and in fear. This is right after they witnessed the empty tomb. And Jesus appears to them. And, and, and we said this last week, that, that fear is stripped of its power when Jesus breathes his peace upon his people. And so he breathes on his disciples and he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so last week we said that as believers in our new series, Renew, being renewed, living life as it was divinely designed, means that as believers we are not set, we're not stationary or immovable, but sent. And so kind of this is the call for the disciples. They've been called into God's mission. Now this is where it gets good in today's story. Apparently, the empty tune, apparently the resurrection, apparently God's commission to his disciples meant, let's pack a cooler full of sandwiches, some Snickers, and a six-pack of Coke for our Nazarenes here. Uh, a six-pack of Coke. Let's grab some poles, stop by the bait shop, and let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Now, ladies, I, I get it, right? This is the same problem you have with your husband. You sit down over the weekend, you think about the tasks that need to be done throughout the house, and so you've carefully thought out this list. You give it to your husband, and you say, "Hun, you need to go clean the toilet bowl. And he said, would you say I need to go grab my fishing pole? And nothing ever gets done that you need done. Well, this is, this is the problem. This is the problem today is that this, this story about fishing is a metaphor of what happens when we take matters into our own hands. I think Peter hears Jesus' call. He calls, you know, he, he calls him to this mission and then Peter says, well, you know, following Jesus isn't really lucrative in any way. You know, my wife is back home and she's saying, at what point are you going to provide for these kids that you have? At what point are you going to make some money and help us out here? And so Peter takes matters into his own hands. He says, I'm going fishing. I don't really understand what Jesus meant when he said we're supposed to be sent, but I'm being sent to this boat and I'm going to make some money. And the disciples are like, they're still the disciples. They're like, uh, okay. Well, we'll go with Peter. He's like the leader. So Peter the leader. We'll follow him. And so they all go fishing. And I love this story. This is, this is so good because John tells us. Let me back up for a minute. No, let me not back up for a minute. Let me just go forward here. It says in the story that they did not realize who Jesus was. 
Now, this is just my thought. This is just my, my philosophy and take on the story. You don't have to like it, but that's okay. But John says two things. He says they, don't, they, don't realize, they didn't realize who Jesus was, and they didn't catch any fish. I, I think this is, this is true, that they didn't realize who Jesus was, not because it was an early morning, not because it was misty outside, because, because they took matters in their own hands it muddied God's vision and mission and purpose for their life. So they, they believed in Jesus, but they really couldn't see Jesus because they had taken matters into their own hands. And I think that is the problem for us today as a church and as God's people is oftentimes we, we would say that we're following Jesus, but often we do things our way. We we make God fit our gospel and our thoughts and our theology. We make God into what we want him to be. And then when God or Jesus moves in our church, we don't recognize it because we can't realize and see who Jesus actually is. Are you all with me on this? We, as a church, can be God's people who stand on the shoreline and say, I, I, I think I, I'm a Jesus follower. I think I believe, but I'm I, I really can't understand who is this person standing on the shore. And so quickly we see that, that when they do it their own way, they don't catch any fish. But as soon as they listen to Jesus' voice, amazing things begin to happen. Isn't that beautiful? That they listen to Jesus. Jesus says, try the other side. And amazing things begin to happen. And so what I, what I, have, have, what I want you to hear is that Often, many of us struggle with this commitment to Jesus, and often we want to do it our own way. And so John continues to tell us that, that when we do it our way, when we take matters into our own hands, we can't see his mission. Now, this is important because John wants to talk about Jesus' mission this morning. Some of you are saying, it's odd that John talks about 153 fish. Are you all with me on this? I mean, I looked at this text and I thought, what is, what is it with the 153? What does 153 mean to me? So there are a few scholars who suggest three different things. Um, there's one scholar who suggests this. Now stick with me. There's one scholar who suggests that, that 100 represents the fullness of the Gentiles. That 100 is kind of a perfect number in the Bible. And then the 50 represents the remnant of Israel. And then the three represents the Trinity. And so we kind of have this, the Gentiles, the hundred, the fifty, the Israel, the three, the Trinity, all coming together, united in the body of Christ. And then you have another scholar, Augustine, who says this. Augustine says, I, lo I love what he says. He says, and I have to read this because I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. He says, uh, so you would take ten. That there are ten laws. We have the law. And then there are seven uh, Seven is a number of grace. Uh, seven spiritual uh, gifts. The seven spirits of grace. And he says, you add these two numbers together, the ten and the seven, you make seventeen. Are you with me so far? Ten plus seven is seventeen. And then he said, if you were to add one plus two plus three plus four, all the way up to seventeen, you would get a hundred and fifty-three. And the point being this, that that even in the law and even in grace, somehow we are all brought into the fold of Jesus Christ. Now here's Jerome. Jerome is my favorite. I love what he has to say. Jerome says that the 153 in the story represent 
the 153 different species or fish that you would find in the sea. And Barclay believes that, that, that the net that we see in the story that doesn't break is the church. And so now we kind of mix these two together and we begin to see that, that Jesus' mission for people is not exclusive. It's not selective. It is extremely inclusive. And so the 153 represent all sorts of people in the world. And the church is the net that is welcoming and open to those kind of people. And the church is so big, and with its arms wide open, it will not break as long as it's loving people. And so I know you're saying, well, what does this look like? And I've got to be honest, I've got to give you a story this week. Some of Just stick with me on this, okay? This week I went to get a membership at a uh, wholesale food store, whatever, uh, and the person behind the, the counter helping us, uh, very, very nice, extremely nice person. And so I handed them some, some of my identification cards. They needed to know who I was. And, and they said, well, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, yeah. So this person started asking me about what I do as a pastor, you know, and very interested. And I said, you know, and, and this person says to me, well, I'm, I'm a pastor too. And I said, oh, really? See, I lead about, you know, uh, 40, uh, I'm, I, I'm a pagan priestess. I lead about 40 people. And so we had this really interesting dialogue about how we... Each are pastors, but do it in our own way. I was kind of inquisitive and in asking about, well, what does pagan practices look like? And, you know, this person was like, well, it's, you know, it's we Celtic and, you know, Indians and all these different practices. We do all these things. That's interesting. Now, I, I, I didn't mention this, but this, this person is transgendered as well. So I'm, I'm talking to a pagan priestess, transgendered person. Uh, but then, then she said to me, she said this, she said, you know, I'm very open to, to different practices and ideas. I would love to be a part of your church. I'd love to come to your church. And I said, we would love to have you. We would love to have you at our church. And I meant it. And by the way, if you're listening today, or if you're here today, uh, you were always welcome at this church. But I have to be honest. There was a moment in my mind that said, I know that I'm welcoming this person, but would our church welcome this person? You see, when, when we talk about 153, when we talk about all the different types of people that God's mission is for, we're talking about people who are immigrants. We're talking about people who are LGBTQ. We're talking about people who live together and aren't married. We're talking about people who don't have it together. We're talking about everybody. And some of you say, well, pastor, are you, are you donating? Are you, are you supporting this? No, listen to me. Look at Jesus in the scriptures. Very rarely, there's a few times where Jesus gives judgment to somebody, a really harsh judgment. But rather, Jesus' love is so overwhelming. It is so overwhelming that his love in itself moves them to repentance. Wow, there's a God that loves me so much. I want to be a part of it. I would love to follow a God like that. And so I guess my question this morning for us is, are we a welcoming people? Are our nets open wide? You know, we've been talking about telling our story, and I've got to be honest. I'm trying to figure out how to tell our church's story. Man, we are growing. We are changing. We are doing some great things. But there's a moment where I begin to hesitate whether to even invite this per- person to church. 
Because I truly don't know if we're welcoming in that sense. But I want you to see that God's mission, God's salvation is for all people. Everyone. I know many of you would say, I believe that it's for all people, but we're just like Jonah. (laughs) I'm not going to the Assyrians. Are you kidding me? I mean, I know you love them. I know you love them, God. You want me to go express your salvation to them, but see ya, deuces, I'm out of here. I think that's our reaction. I know that I know that God loves them, but then we talk to them as if we know, like, we're the, we're the judges. We're the ones to judge them. So what does love look like in that situation? That's a question I'm, I'm asking this morning. And so we go into the second story. This is the part of reconciliation. And I think John wants to tell us that as committed followers of Christ, there are things that we need to reconcile with Jesus. You see, for Peter, uh, it's, it's around the coal fire. It happened back in April. Peter is standing outside of the high priest courts, and he's standing around a coal fire, and he's having conversation with people. And this one girl says to him, Aren't you one of those followers? Aren't you a follower? And he says, no. I don't know this guy. So he continues to stick around the coal fire. He's heating himself. And somebody asks him again. Three times he denies Jesus. And then I can imagine as he walks away, as the the smell of this campfire, of the coals, lingers on his clothes, this smell reminds him of, of his rejection, of his of his denial of, of Jesus in his life, his denial of following Jesus. And now we see Peter fishing on the shoreline, and guess what? He smells a, a burning fire. He, he smells a coal fire, and it's probably a reminder to him of, of his failure, of his committedness to Jesus. And then John says, I think that, I think that's the Lord. I think it's him. And Peter jumps out of the boat, he grabs his tunic, and he And he goes and greets Jesus, and we find him sitting around a meal. Jesus says, come and have breakfast with me. And as we often say here, the ministry, a meal is ministry. And we believe that food kind of breaks down barriers so we can have honest conversation. And we see that Peter and Jesus begin to have an in-depth discussion. A difficult, difficult discussion. So he kind of takes Peter, and he says, walk with me. And they walk along the shoreline. And some believe that John, you know, John, because he had this special relationship with Jesus, is kind of in the back listening to what's going on, and that's how he recorded what happened. But I love what it says. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he was asked a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Follow me. Now to understand the conversation that's taking place between Peter and Jesus, 
we have to actually understand the language that's being used. So this morning, I want to I introduce you. Many of you are scholars and you already know this, but there are four different types of love in the Greek language. The first is storge, which is like a family kind of love, a familial kind of love. The other is eros, which is like the wow, wow. You know, it's like the, the erotic, the sexual kind of love, eros. Uh, and then you have phileo or Philadelphia, which means the brotherly kind of love. And lastly, you have agape, which is the sacrificial kind of love. Now, if you just read your Bible, you won't get this, but, but Jesus, when he talks to Peter, says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you sacrificially love me? And listen to that Peter response. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I brotherly love you, but that's not what Jesus is asking. He's saying, do you sacrificially love me? And in Peter's mind, he's thinking, Lord, you know that I don't sacrificially love you. I denied you three times. This morning, as I smelled the coals, this was a reminder of my failure. And so Jesus asked him again, do you agapeo me? And, and Peter says, no, I phileo you. But the third response is the best one. Because this tells us something about the very God that we serve. Jesus asked Peter this time, he says, do you phileo me? And Peter responds, you know that I love you. I think that Jesus uses Peter's words because Jesus and the God that we serve meets his people where they are. Even in their brokenness, even in their uncommittedness, even in their failures, even in their denial of Christ, Jesus meets his people where they are on their level. And many scholars believe that the reason why Jesus asked three times is because Peter denied him three times. And we see that in this conversation, Peter is restored into the image of Christ. He is restored a relationship with Jesus. And I think, I think, I think that, that Peter gets it now. I think if there were a fourth question, I think, I think Jesus would once again ask, do you agapeo me? And Peter would respond, I sacrificially love you. Because in the text, it tells us that Jesus says, guess what? Now that you've been restored, you're going to be taken to a place that you do not want to go, but you're going to go. And many of you know Peter's story. This man was hung upside down on a cross because he believed he could not die in the way Jesus Christ does. You talk about picking up your cross. You talk about drinking from the cup of Christ. This is amazing. So Peter, in the end, gets this agape, this sacrificial kind of love. So this morning, I I want you to hear this. In the end, Jesus asks, or he says to him, follow me. Now, I've asked you this question, but I need to ask you again. Are you following Jesus? I mean, truly, are you really following Jesus? Are you really committed to what Jesus calls his people to? Or have you taken matters into your own hands and muddied the vision and mission God has called you to? Some of you say, well, pastor, I remember 30 years ago, I came to the altar and I gave my life to Christ. Well, 
it's not just about the moment, but it's about movement. That was a great moment, but that's just the beginning. But see, some of us hang on to the beginning as that's the rest of our Christian life. Like that moment now extends all the way out into the rest of time because I said yes to Jesus in this moment. But I struggle with that. Because now it's as if, well, I've said yes, I'm good to go. But there's a difference. As we see with the disciples, there's a difference between believing and following. So it's not so much about the moment as it is about movement. And if we believe in the resurrection, what a moving event it is, we have to be moved as God's people. So last week, as we said, we believe that living life as it was divinely designed means we are sent, not set. And so here's what I want you to know today. Here's the, the one thing that I want you to ask yourself as we begin to think about renew, as we think about living life as it was divinely designed. Living life as it was divinely designed, it means we must call into question our committedness to Christ daily. Now, some of you may not agree with me on this. But in your daily life, you are presented with problems and options. You are presented with, I can do it my way, I can do it the world's way, or I can do it God's way. And in those moments, you are now asking yourself, am I following? Do I do it my way? Do I do it the world's way? Or do I do it God's way? So I think for us, renewal is about continually questioning our committedness to Christ. That is what moves us. Today, as I get up, am I really ready to follow him? Am I prepared to meet with people who are from the LGBTQ community? Am I prepared to meet with Muslims? Am I prepared to meet with people who don't look like me? Am I prepared to share that gospel with them? You know, some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm too old. My body aches and I can't go to the community and I can't go to Edna Keith. Listen to me this morning. If you are breathing and you can talk, you have a purpose. There are plenty of things for you as God's believers to do in this church. If you are breathing and you have a voice, you can still share the gospel, the good news of Christ. I'm going to just say it now. John Bogle, one of our pastors here at this church, who is physically struggling to even breathe, is still doing God's work. He's still sending me board reports. He's still ministering to people. He's still calling people. And I love this about John. He'll be in the hospital. He'll probably be on his deathbed. And he'll still continue to minister. So if John Bogle can do it, he's not even here, then you have no excuse. None of you. Including myself. I think about Kimmy, who's not here this morning. Kimmy lost her leg. She struggles with multiple issues. You know that she goes through dialysis throughout the week. But the beauty about Kimmy is this. is Kimmy still realizes she has a purpose. Kimmy each week tells me, Pastor, I prayed for this person. I told him that Jesus loved every week. If John can do it, you can do it. If Kimmy can do it, you can do it. So, I, I really have to ask this question. I really, really have to ask this question. Are you committed to following? Are your nets big enough? 
Is your vision wide enough? Is your purpose at the forefront of your life? Are you following? This morning, there are some of you who need to respond. There are some of you, we said last week, that that being sent means we need to learn to tell our story. Some of you, as one person already has, has told their story, and they've pinned it up here. We've challenged you over the next six weeks to tell your story as we learn to share the gospel with people about your life. What would you write so others may believe? That's how John originally ended the gospel. So we're asking, what would you write? So this morning, maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to come up here and you need to hang your story. But let's be honest. There are some of us who have been in the church for years who aren't following Christ. And today, I want to call you to be a committed people. I want to call myself into the very same commitment that I'm calling you. Because I realize that I'm just as decommitted as as some of you are. There are days where where I would prefer to do something else. And I I take things into my own personal preference. I I take matters into my own hands. So this morning, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray for you. That maybe there are some of you this morning that realize that that God is working in your life. He's working in your heart. He is calling you to something more. And let me just say this. If you are ready to follow, not just be a Christian, not just say that Jesus has saved me, but if you are ready to say that I will follow God, I will sacrificially love Him in a way that He has called me to, would you come up here this morning? Would you come up here this morning as a sign to say I am committing myself to Him in every personal facet of my life. I'm committing to him. Let me pray. Lord, we give thanks for the God that you are, that you are God who meets us where we are. Lord, we realize that you have called us to a huge mission. You have called us to a big world. You have called us to your creation. And Lord, help us to see that each person that we encounter every day is a person that you have created. Lord, teach us to be a people who love you, who serve you, and who are committed to following you in every way. Lord, this morning we have believers who have, who have come down here to say that it's not just about me saying a prayer, but rather it's, it's me committing my life to you. Lord, today I will give sacrificially of myself. I will give of my time. I will give of my money. I will give of my gifts to the people who need it. Lord, we confess today that, that we need to stand beside the coals of reconciliation. Lord, that we have denied you so many times in our lives. And so this morning we confess that we've got it wrong. Forgive us, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. Restore us into your image. Make us into your people who who bring your glory to the world around us. Lord, I pray that you honor these people who have submitted themselves to you, who have said yes to their call in your life, who have said yes to the holy life, the sanctified life. Lord, we give thanks for this day. Would you now move us, move us out into the world to share the wonderful news of how you have changed our lives and how others' lives can be changed as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Please remain standing and receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace.